As was mentioned already, we're no doubt each very thankful for the opportunity that's ours this Lord's Day morning to assemble and to gather in the way that we are. Truly, to reflect upon the nature of this is what the God of heaven had in mind. It was His will that His people assemble. As we do that on the first day of the week, it is an honor for us, a privilege for us, and a blessing for us to be able to engage in activities like this. Certainly, as we're thankful for the opportunity to come together today, let me take just a moment, if I could, and before we launch into a lesson I've entitled, Six T's for a Good Life, let me at least mention that tonight's lesson is one that will involve Plan B. Now, let me be quick to say that quite often in life, each of us are forced with recognizing that what we had thought was Plan A, what we wanted to be the course of action, for one reason or another, turns out not to be possible. And we're forced to turn to a plan B. Well, how do we react to such a situation as that? Come back tonight as you and I look into the Word of God and reflect upon some in the Bible who had to turn to plan B. How did they react? And what was it that we can learn from them? But for today, what about a good life? I believe it's fair to say that a rather common motivation and a rather common desire might well be housed under language that occurs on this slide. Most of the time, a young person, if I ask, I just want to lead a good life, and maybe that person's aspiration would be such that I want to get a good job, and I'd like to marry at, at the right time, and I just want to be able to appreciate the goodness attached to life. And maybe we who are a bit older... We still, of course, would answer similarly, but the particulars in life might well be rather different. Could I offer the thought today that there are six things, it seems to me, that start with the letter T that are going to be necessary in order to live a life that's a good one by the standards we're about to discuss. And it would seem to me that even those of us that are older, we need to understand this, but we certainly need to impress it upon the hearts and minds of our youngsters so that they're never misled as to what would constitute a good life. They need to know from an early age, and we need to always set it by example before them, that a good life will involve these things unquestionably. What are they? They all start with the letter T. As we think about each one of them, the first one is this one. Thankfulness. A mindset, an appreciation of thanksgiving. Some verses I've asked you to notice, we will arrive at shortly, but could I at least begin by saying this? It is not that uncommon in our world, and I suppose it has ever been this way, where ingratitude seems to be the order of the day. So often individuals will almost presume that it's my right to have something, and even if others are rather good to them, you may never hear a thank you. You may never hear an I, I appreciate it. You may never hear if I can ever do anything for you. Please, please let me know. But on the other hand, the Word of God seemingly has very strong words that insist upon us having a mindset of thankfulness. You'll notice on that slide, in Deuteronomy 8, verse 11, even in the days of the Old Testament, the people of Israel, by the very lips of Moses, were urged and admonished, don't you forget the source of the blessings you enjoy. 
Who is it that saw you through these wilderness wandering years? Who is it that made sure to see to it that you had the necessary matters and clothing and food and otherwise? Isn't it easy to see? The Israelites were always to understand we are the ones who owe to God an appreciation for these things we have. We didn't come up with them ourselves. They're not due to our efforts. That thanksgiving is highlighted in a few other places of the Old Testament. I've listed those for your consideration, but could I at least quickly mention that Jesus had so much to say in Luke 17 about this subject. Do you recall there that there were ten lepers and our Lord healed them? And how many of them returned to say thank you? How many of them returned to express a tremendous attribute of thanksgiving for the one who had changed their life so? The leper, of course, was an individual who was very much an outcast, and his or her life was very much in a state of social isolation. And yet the Lord took all of those things away when He healed them. One of them came back to say thank you. Jesus asked a penetrating question. He said, where are the nine? Were there not ten cleansed? The Lord Himself was mindful then and observant of the fact that only one out of the ten said thank you. Could that be a reasonable percentage of those today? I wonder. At least it could be highlighted. Jesus was somewhat asking where were the other nine. Doesn't it remind us that even today we need to ourselves be people of thankfulness? When others do things for us, should we not at least say, I appreciate it and I very much thank you for it. That sacrifice upon your part, that effort you did, I know that our world may not always express it, but we're different people. We're people of thanksgiving. And didn't Paul put it like this in Ephesians 5 verse 20? And later on echoed in 1 Thessalonians 5 18, In everything give thanks. Now that highlights a very strong statement, doesn't it? In every order of life, even in those matters our world would say are rather negative and dark, you and I have reason to be thankful. But in addition to an understanding of thankfulness, and as important as that idea is, what about another one? Also beginning with the letter T, it would be easy to see that thankfulness helps put us in a mindset in which we realize that the world doesn't always center about me. I have a debt to owe to others by expressing to them appreciation for that which they do. But this next term is thoughtfulness, and these two are a bit linked. Thoughtfulness. One more time, could I remind us that quite often the devil motivates us in a very different direction than thoughtfulness. Quite often our world seemingly acts by way of thinking that the only one of any importance is me. Others are those who are in my way. Others are those who are in some way causing difficulty for me to reach my dreams and my aspirations and my goals, and they are to be trampled over and moved out of the way. But that mindset is not consistent with the Word of God. How often are we reminded we should be thoughtful of other people? Some verses that will move us in that direction would begin by highlighting that it's not a new problem. 
as early as Genesis chapter 4, we remember there that there was a scene with Cain and Abel. And Cain took Abel's life, of course. And you'll notice that Cain asked this question, Am I my brother's keeper? You see, wherever he is, it's none of my business, God. Why don't you go find him? You see, God was in many ways at least asserting the fact there is a sense in which we are our brother's keeper. We are to be mindful of their circumstances and caring and compassionate about the allotment of their nature. In Luke 12, verses 16 and following, Jesus spoke a parable highlighting again this truth when there was a man whose crops had brought forth so abundantly. His single approach was this, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. I'll store up everything I've got. And I'll say to myself, Soul, take thy knees, eat, drink, and be merry, for thou hast many things laid up for many years. You'll notice then that God in response had these words to say, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall these things be which thou hast provided? You'll notice the man seemingly was only concerned about himself. What's in it for me? What's I, what am I to be gained by this? My crops have done so wonderfully. I tell you what, I'm going to keep every bit of it for myself. I'm going to make sure that I'm taken care of and others really are not much of a concern. Sometimes I suppose that temptation at least is, can easily come before all of us. Those verses you'll notice near the bottom of that slide point us in a different direction. As Paul addressed the church at Rome in Romans 12 verse 3, he said, Don't ever think of yourself more highly than you ought to think but rather to think soberly and appropriately in regard to all of those matters. More highly than you ought to think. In Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4, we're reminded, Look not every man on himself, but rather on the things of others. Now that doesn't mean you're looking to steal what they have. That's not what Paul was saying. Rather what he was saying is, have a term of compassion, an understanding of concern for the circumstances that they're in. Maybe we can offer assistance. Maybe we can offer help. Galatians 6 verses 9 and 10 will highlight some of that like this. Let us do good unto all men, especially unto those who are of the household of faith. And sometimes that doing good will be words of encouragement, words of insistence, words of warning. Sometimes it'll be physical aspects in as much as we're reminded in James 1.27 to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. In other words, here are things that directly I should do. This term of thoughtfulness certainly wars a great deal against quite often what we hear. But what about the third T? Thankfulness, thoughtfulness, what other word T will be a vibrant part of any life that would be hailed or at least recognized as good? This time, thriftiness. It's another subject that's developed at length in the Word of God, but of course we will be a rather brief consideration of it posed like this. Thriftiness. I wonder today, and certainly Gary and others could share with us many words about how many of the typical problems most people face can be 
linked in one way or another to financial matters. The credit crisis often has the headlines in the news. Individuals who have credit cards in number all maxed out and we buy more. And we seemingly want to buy more. Quite often that finds itself linked to, if I'm successful, I shall be able to have what I want when I want. And if I have to borrow money to have it, so be it. Quite often, this issue then is one that has led to problems in number amongst individuals and amongst families in our land. But the Word of God would encourage a reality in thriftiness. As you and I develop this, why don't we do it like this? You and I would wholeheartedly begin by saying, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning, to borrow the words of James 1.17. That means that everything that has an attribute of goodness ultimately arrives and develops and is made available from God. It is not of my doing or yours. It is not of the government's doing. It is due to God's beneficent hand. Now the circumstances, of course, involved in that lead us to a few more verses. In Proverbs 21, verse number 30, or rather verse 20, we are admonished in a somewhat interesting way to make sure we live within our means. It may not be, I can have that new car at this time. I may not be able to have that other element at this moment. My finances may not permit it. And may I say that those considerations surely are motivated by other things. Is it not true that if I bring myself into that amount of debt, it could cause great problems for my family? I may have to try and take on another job which could remove me from the presence of my family as much as I need to be there. Furthermore, it may cause me to not be able to give to God as He's commanded me I need to do. All of those things are vital considerations. How much more needful is it that I live within my means understanding that? That frugality, that thriftiness will ultimately pay tremendous dividends. Look at this verse in Proverbs thirteen Does it that also remind us that there as God taught through the wise man of the old age, the reality of thriftiness it was a matter that was needful for them, and how much more for us? Surely we understand the need to work. Our world sometimes, at least if you hear much from the news, if you pay much attention to it, which sometimes isn't such a good idea, there seems to be this undercurrent that we deserve everything. Have you noticed how many commercials say, I'll get you the money that you deserve? Excuse me? This picture is painted that there is the des deserving of not only a minimal amount, but an exorbitant amount of money. And these lawyers, or sometimes these financial businesses, they will make the promise that I'll get you what you deserve. The Word of God says, If a man won't work, neither should he eat. 2 Thessalonians 3.10 and thus, what would you deserve if you're slothful and lazy, too lazy to work for it? According to the Word of God, you see, there's a different mentality in place. 
And therefore, as you and I, be we young or old, we need to understand from an early age the importance of thriftiness as God describes it. Now, He doesn't expect us to live without the things of this earth. The wonderful people of the Bible, they enjoyed things. Noah, Abraham, David, Daniel, and others. But it's fair to say that we're admonished to be thrifty people. At the bottom of that slide, we have this promise. Psalm 37, 25 puts it like this. I have been young and I am old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. God has promised to take care of the physical needs of His children. That doesn't mean we're going to live in the biggest house. It doesn't mean we'll have a fleet of cars. But it does mean that our needs will be met. And as that thriftiness is understood, then God will bless and He will take care of that which we need. T number four. In addition to thriftiness and thoughtfulness and thankfulness, what about trustworthiness? Trustworthiness. You'll notice my comments here are relatively brief because I think the Word alone has so much to say and so many verses of Scripture race to the forefront of our thinking. As we begin, though, could I at least paint somewhat of a picture of what the world would often present as usual and as normal and as common? So often we are encouraged. You don't have to worry about what you say. If you have to tell a lie, so be it. If it works to your advantage, it was worth it. And quite often, we allow our youngsters to grow up in a world and they buy into this. They think the truth is somehow bendable. And you can stretch it and mold it and turn it into whatever you need to gain your own personal advantage. That's not right. We need to instill in them trustworthiness is important. What you say means something. And you need to be true to what you say. When you tell someone you'll do something, do it. Now, if circumstances come about that you didn't foresee, then you need to approach that person and explain to them why you were not able to do it, and then you make it good later. But you don't ever have the intent to say one thing and do something else. Trustworthiness. Is your word your bond? Do others, when they think of you and me having reputation... He will do what He says. You know, sometimes, maybe you and I have been to funeral homes in days gone by, and as people reminisce and reflect upon the life of the person that's now deceased, you hear all kinds of things, but sometimes what a refreshing thing it is. Well, you know what? Whatever He said, he, you could count on it. Maybe a lot of things about the man's life weren't as wholesome as they might have been. But you at least have to admit that he stood, his word meant something. The other side of that coin is very negative, isn't it? You ever heard someone reminisce about a person's lie? Well, you couldn't take anything he said at face value. That has to be one of the sorest insults of all, isn't it? To have that kind of recollection of what the person's life was all about. You couldn't count on what he said. You'll notice on this slide... It is a good question. What do other people think of me? What do they honestly think about 
the daily walk of life of you or me. Does the person's word stand for something? Does the person try to give every effort to remain true to that which he or she has said? If not, that will be hard to overcome for whatever else we may ever share with them. That alone will ring supreme. Do you think it likely we can ever encourage anybody to be a Christian if they don't see in us trustworthiness? If they see in us a person whose word doesn't mean a lot? The Bible condemns lying as we all know. Not only outright lying, but insinuations that are not true. Obfuscations, if I may use that word. The Bible condemns that too. We should never tell somebody something with the intent that though we don't blatantly come out and lie, we lead them in a direction that they draw the conclusion we know is not right. And we've prompted it. We've encouraged it. We have particularly spoken in a way that led to that eventuality. And that isn't right either. You'll notice this issue in trustworthiness takes us to Proverbs 12, 19, where there in the days of the Old Testament even, it was pointed out how important trustworthiness was. The last particular verse on that line at least paints for us the dramatic evil of lying. It was true in Zechariah 8. It was quoted in Ephesians, 5, in Ephesians 4. You and I are not to be given to lying. We're not to be given to deception. No wonder then our life is a wholesale pursuit of what is trustworthy. And from an early age to late in life, we should strive to learn the attributes of it and to live in harmony with it. The closing statement on that slide is a faithful one, isn't it? What will be the final fate of all who are given to lying? Revelation doesn't lead us to wonder. In Revelation 21.8, that lake that we recognize as this lake of fire and brimstone, it'll have in it all of those given to sin, true. But he particularly mentions that all liars will be there. That's a strong statement, isn't it? Four T's have come and gone now this morning as we've looked at each one of them, having been reminded how important these are in any life that would be regarded as a wholesale presentation of good. But could I pose two more and then the lesson will be yours. Thirst. And I don't mean thirsty for water. I don't have in mind that kind of thirst for quite frankly, that's all of us. We have to have water to live. We understand that. But Matthew 5 verse 6 will say something different. In the midst of those Beatitudes, our Lord, of course, mentioned several things that are vital. But did you notice one of them starts with the letter T? Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Righteousness, I would quickly say, is one more time an attribute that the world frequently has little interest in. And when you think of this long word righteousness, think about doing what's right. How much is the world concerned about doing what's right? Quite often people are motivated by, I'll do what will fill my pocket. I'll, I'll do what will make me look good. I'll do what I need to do in order to gain the advantage I want to gain, regardless whether it's right or not. 
And amazingly enough, there are people in our world who will stand in front of a camera and admit to behaving like this. They don't have much of a care about what's right. But a person who's going to live a life that's good, a life that's sound, a life that's wholesome, a life that is recognized far and wide for having those kind of dispositions will be a person who's thirsty for what's right. In every situation, they're going to ask, what's the right thing to do? It may be inconvenient, that's true. It may demand sacrifice on my part, absolutely. But it doesn't change the fact that if it's the right thing to do, that's what I'm going to do. Some verses I would invite you to consider with me on that slide would begin by appreciating this. No rightness goes right hand in hand with morality. And it's always been amazing to me that there are those who will straightforwardly say we evolved from animals or apes or we evolved alongside these things. And they'll quickly say, at least in their mind, there's no God. But when you ask them, then what's the basis of morality? Everybody agrees murdering is wrong. Well, where did that idea come from? Is it not that there's a God in heaven who made us? And in so doing has set in place a set of laws and even godless people seemingly realize the place of morality. So it is. How easy is it for you and me to perhaps to be tempted to compromise our morals? We can sit in a church building on Sunday and, well, that's wrong. But yet come Thursday afternoon when I find myself in a situation that's very different than a church building... I can rationalize to compromise my morals so that I can save a little face. I hope we're all motivated never, ever to compromise what's right. Even if it costs me a little embarrassment, I won't ever compromise what's right. Because right is right and wrong is wrong. Shouldn't we be encouraged by even Naboth in the Old Testament? King Ahab offered, I tell you what, I'd like to have your vineyard and I'll make it well worth your while to sell it. Naboth said, it's not for sale at any price. Sometimes we sell our morality for awful cheap. We sell what's right so cheap. I hope we'll never do that again. But rather, not for sale. May we always be thirsty for what's right. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for Jesus said they shall be filled. They'll have a life of completeness, a life that is filled with those things that are noble and right and good, and they will be connected to what is far grander than anything this world has to offer. This thirsting for righteousness. Could we close that slide with, the statement of Paul. You see, when there were those of his day motivated by things like that in 2 Timothy 2 verse 22, flee that kind of motivation he wrote. No wonder we come to number six, the final T of the morning. As we've looked at the previous five, they to some extent have provided us with at least a hint to this one, and you probably guessed it coming. A life that's good must have an adequate foundation. Didn't Jesus say, 
as he spoke about a man who built his life on the sand. The rains beat against it, and the floods came, and Matthew 7, 24 describes that it fell flat because it was founded upon an improper foundation. But he quickly said, build your life on a rock, that which is stable upon which to support it. And when the difficulties and the challenges of life come, it will stand, and it will stand strongly. Truth, you and I have to be people. If we're going to have a life that's good, it needs to be founded upon truth. Our world will not stand strongly for truth. As I mentioned earlier, so many consider truth to be stretchable and bendable, and you make any situation out of it what you want. That's not a life of strength. That's a life that blows with every wind of direction that comes, and it's a life that doesn't anchor to anything. How often has the statement been made that if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything? Well, in many ways, the Bible reminds us about the integrity that goes with truth. Some verses I would invite you to consider would start with identifying the source of it, and that's God. Truth is of God, Deuteronomy 32, 4. He is the God of truth. Moses sang that to the children of Israel. And how needful it would be for us to remember that stanza of that song as well. In addition to truth being highlighted that way, Isaiah would state it directly in Isaiah 65. As you and I turn to the pages of the New Testament, we remember that Jesus Christ came to set before us the ultimate truth of all. And that truth brings power. It brings consistency. It brings the foundation of life. It brings a connection to what's far greater than we. I'm reminded of the words of the psalmist in Psalm 61 when he said, I'll fly to the rock that's higher than I. And sometimes we sing that song, do we not? That rock, you see, is that rock of certainty, that rock of truth, that rock that is made available from God. Today, I know the world will pose that you can be your own rock, that you can build your life on your capacities and your capabilities, but it's a lie. It's a lie for how certain it is. Jeremiah 10, 23. Oh, Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not a man that walketh to direct his steps. We need a life that is anchored to truth. And that means a thorough and working knowledge of what's right, the Bible, and to build our life in consistency with it. Proverbs 23, verse 23 was the lesson text. Brother Colonel read it earlier. Buy the truth and sell it not. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding Buy that truth and never, ever forsake it. Never compromise it. Never lose sight of it. Let's close our lesson then like this. Nothing but a brief statement, a reminder of the six T's we've considered this morning. Thankfulness, thoughtfulness, thriftiness, thirst, trustworthiness, and truth. If you and I would be those who would have a life of goodness and a life of solidness, it would include all of these in abundance. But if any of them is lacking, then there's much room for improvement. There's much room for change. 
if we today could offer assistance, maybe as a person who's never become a child of God, you recognize how needful it is for your life to be motivated and moved in these directions. And you want what, you, what is better than what you have now. We could assist you. Jesus has the answer. You need to believe in Him with all of your heart, repent of your sins, confess His name, and be baptized. We'd be delighted to assist you today. If you have at some point known these attributes, but may I say, one must continue in them. Any one of them we could let slide. If that has happened, it isn't God's fault. You have chosen a wrong pathway. You've chosen a wrong roadway. You need to come back to your first place of love and devotion. If we could assist you in doing that today, if you'll repent of those sins and confess them, we'd be delighted to pray on your behalf to God. He's promised to forgive you, and you'll be reinstated to a position of lovely, good faithfulness. Only God is good, Luke 18, 19. And so if you would be good today, why not follow these? And if we could help you, why not come? While together we stand and while we sing.